You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, as always, he's going to lose his mind in Detroit, Rock City. It's Jeff McLodge Huge. Yes, I am. When? When am I going to Detroit, Rock City? I can't remember. Am I? Am I going there? I think I've already lost my mind, Bill. Get up. Everyone's going to lose their feet or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not the lyric. It's... uh. Just, just going out there yeah. for those of us who still have feet. That's like on the uh, on Family Guy. There, I want to rock and roll all <laughs> night and and have, have a, a wonderful day and have a really good time <laughs> and have a wonderful day. <laughs> I love that line. He goes, "I should have known you didn't like Kiss when you wanted to be Peter Chris. Not even Peter Chris wants to be Peter Chris." Speaking of Kiss, I fell down a, a, a YouTube rabbit hole. A disco rabbit hole, a ra- a rabbit hole with a drum beat that goes, tick, 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 a syncopated bass line, and something that goes boo for no particular reason. So, uh, do you remember a song called "Instant Replay"? It's like nineteen. I do. Nineteen seventy-eight. Yeah, I barely remembered that song. I used to like when I was a kid. I used to like mash that song and the beginning of "Bad Girls." By mm-hmm. Donna Summer together, so you know the toot toot, beep beep, and then yeah. and then I would say instant replay. Two different songs, but I would mash them together. So two two different songs and two completely different subject matters. One is about picking up prostitutes, and the other one is not. <laughs> and, and the other and the other guy just putting that out yeah. there for you. And the other one it must have been fun to sing as a kid. Yeah. Uh, now here's the question: Which is which? So anyway. <laughs> So I was like, I don't, I, I don't remember anything about that instant replay song other than the instant replay bit. So right. I just, I go to YouTube and I type in 1970s song instant replay and see what comes up. And here it is. It was Dan Hart. So yeah. I'm watching the video because there's like a performance video, like you know, pre MTV performance video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right away, the bass player like leaps out of the screen at me. I was like, oh my god, that's G Smith. It was G. Smith from the uh, Saturday Night Live band. Saturday Night Live band. He was also in Hall and Oates, right? And then I look over at the guitar player and I was like, "Wait a minute, is that Vinnie Vincent?" And it totally was. Well, did, it's Vinnie. Did Vin- the guy look kind of like a like someone had had sex with a ferret, it, and then produced a litter of children? It looked like, if so, yeah, it looked like Mick Mars from Motley Crue had sex with a ferret. Yes. <laughs> Truth be told, Bill. Uh, and sent me the link to the video, and and that is indeed a ferret man. Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's Vinnie Vincent from Kiss. You know, you go further down the rabbit hole. Before he joined Kiss, one <laughs> this is such a weird thing. Uh, Vinnie Vinnie Vincent, whenever he was in Kiss, he he was in Kiss for like you know, blink and you miss him. 
but he wrote some really good songs for them, Lick It Up being one of them. And then even after he had left Kiss, he was still like kind of on board as a songwriter. And one of their uh, best albums from their No Makeup period, Revenge, he had his hand right. writing a lot of those songs. But back when he was doing the, the disco instant replay business, he also, this is such a weird thing. All right, do you remember Happy Days? I remember Happy Days. Do you remember a spinoff called Joni Loves Chachi? I do indeed remember the spinoff Joni Loves Chachi with Aaron Moran and Scott Baio. Yes, and do you remember how they... As the titulars Joni and Chachi. Yes. That word's going to come up later, I think. Which one? Titular. Chachi? Titular. Oh. Because it's fun to say. So at any... Well, there's not a, not a whole lot of... <laughs> there's not a lot of reasons to say Chachi. So <laughs> I suppose that makes sense. Uh, at any rate, you know how in the show that they used to, they, they, like, I think in every episode they, like, sang a song back and forth to each other? I guess. I don't, I mean, I think I was, like, still in the having to go to bed after the Muppet Show phase of my life right. when yeah. that show was on. You know, that show didn't, it didn't last very long. It wasn't very popular. Right. But they used to sing back and forth to each other on the show. Well, a lot of those songs on Jody Loves Chachi were actually written by Vinnie Vincent. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. That's neat. Yeah. What a long and varied career that man has had. Well, it's it's like it was like Dan Harmon, right? The guy that who, who does this this sort of middle-of-the-road white boy disco song, right? Yeah. Prior to this, he was the bass player in the Edgar Winter Group. So he's got a, a – he's like a virtuoso bass player and multi-instrument player. What the hell did he need G.E. Smith for? <laughs> right? Well, again, like, you know, maybe G.E. Smith is just in this for the video oh, sure. or it was on yeah. the touring band or whatever. Because okay. Hartman was a songwriter too. One of his songs shows up as in one of the, the parts of um, one of my favorite movies, the, the of a film called Streets of Fire. Uh-huh. So he wrote, he wrote the song called I Can Dream About You that was done by the, this like sort of, they had it done on stage by this all black sort of vocal band. Oh my God. The film is set in the, in the 1950s. So, okay. you know. Okay. And, Here's the thing. All right. One, I always thought that song was sung by a black gentleman. It's yep. It sounds like it. And I thought Instant Replay was sung by a woman. Ha, 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 ha. So, nope. da- yeah, so Dan Hartman, God love you, sir, because I would never be able to pick you out of, like, out of an audio lineup. Uh. Would you recognize the voice of the assailant? <laughs> no. <laughs> what was her name again? You said it was Dan? Is that short for Danielle? And yes. before we get the very memorable uh, show started, the first full show of 2021. <laughs> yeah. So before we get the show started, of course, we have our trivia question. Speaking of Joni Loves Chachi, it's really commonplace now for a television show, in particular sitcom, when they get reached the end of their run, they have a, a series finale. You know, obviously MASH did the the movie and then, mo- you know, most famously, I think Seinfeld was one of the most watched series finales ever. Right. Uh, they often end it with like a clip show, kind of like a greatest hits. Yeah, it's because by then all the actors are like, screw this show. Yeah, exactly. And then they all split. Right. Or, or they're like the uh, the father from the Brady Bunch who hated the script so much he just refused to be in it. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I'm not going to be in this one. You guys can make the use the hair dye on those rabbits. So I'm going to be over in the, <laughs> in the cantina. So at any rate, what was the first television show to have a series finale? Gee, oh man, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna have to take a guess at this later. Maybe there's a clue in today's episode. Maybe let's uh, let's make a show. Let's have a podcast. This is the week beginning January the fourth, and 
Uh, hey, why don't, why don't we have you start this week? January 4th, 1999, former professional wrestler Jesse the Body Ventura is sworn in as the governor of Minnesota. Jesse the Mind Ventura. I think he's the only professional wrestler who's gone on to get involved in government, not be sort of appointed there, kind of like the McMahons are involved in the, were involved sort of with the Trump administration, but... He like ran, he's run as a Green Party candidate. He's run as a Libertarian. I don't know if he was a Green candidate when he was elected governor or if he was an independent. I believe he was independent. He was governor of Minnesota for four or six years. Him and the other 17 people that live in Minnesota. As far as wrestlers uh, uh, going for public office, uh, Linda McMahon ran for the Senate in Connecticut. But in wrestling terms, she did the job. Uh, (laughs) She got beat handily. Someone with a foreign object. Bob Backlund, kayfabe, ran for president. So. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, it's funny because, like, Jesse had a pretty varied career anyway. He did a lot of, well, I guess he didn't do a lot of acting, but, you know, he did a couple of Schwarzenegger movies. He did The Running Man, and he did uh, Predator. Yep. That famous line, that I ain't got time to bleed. I ain't got time to bleed. He was in Abraxas, which is terrible, but he was in it anyway. But, yeah, he's, interesting guy. Yeah, he's led a, a very full life. He, you know, he did the professional wrestling thing for a lot of years. I got, I got on board watching wrestling, you know, really early in my life. And I barely remember him wrestling. I don't know if he had a, an injury that took him out of the game or if McMahon just liked him better on the microphone because he did more commentary than he did wrestling. I remember he had a big feud with the Polish hammer, Ivan Putski. Like, I used to remember watching him wrestle Dr. D. David Schultz. Yep. That's going back a bit. Remember when he beat the crap out of that news guy? News guy, think wrestling's fake? I mean, that's an open hand slap. <laughs> Yes. So Jesse Ventura is still, uh, he's got a podcast, I think, now and, and is playing the sort of punditry circuit because he co- he comes out and he speaks a lot for sort of libertarian ideals and values and stuff. Yeah. He had that show, too, about uh, about conspiracy theories, too. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that that was even on. I don't know if that, I think that ran like two seasons, right? Yeah, it was it, it was on a little longer than I thought it was going to be on for. Let's put it that way. Jesse Ventura studies the stuff. <laughs> That wasn't what it was called, but it might as well have been. Right. It was, yeah, it was basically... uh, I'm sending Team Ventura out to Area 51. They got exactly as far as everybody else who goes to Area 51 gets. And then they turned around and came back. I'm just imagining, like, the pitch meeting. We we need a show for people that like cryptozoology and wrestling. We need a show that Bill would like, is what we're looking for. All right, so moving on to January the 5th, 1959, the premiere of Bozo's Big Top children's show. Hey. I I always smash all those kind of like children's shows together. Now, Bozo's Big Top, his big buddy was Mr. Houdini, wasn't it? Man, I have just about as much memory of that show as I do of the day I was born. Now. That's almost none. As you remember, I was in a band a long time ago. I was in a couple of bands. But my, my first band that I was in, the uh, the guitar player, we actually used to practice like at his house. So he had like an apartment. You know, his father wasn't home. We would just practice there. Right. Uh, we used to call him Bozo because he had this like big, huge puff of red hair. Like he had red, red mm-hmm. curly hair that grew more out than down. You know what I mean? So Yes. So we, you, yeah, I mean, we just affectionately call him Bozo. Oh. So one day the bass player who had more, I, like, I, this guy had so much energy, I can't even imagine, like, for the life of me, him sleeping. He just, he was just bounced around all the time. One day, I don't know what the hell he was looking for, but he was looking in uh, Bozo's closet for something. He pulls out this, like, bank 
like a, a children's bank, but the bank was in the shape of a huge Tootsie Roll. And he's all excited, yeah. starts yelling, goes, oh my God, oh my God, he is Bozo. Look, he's got the giant Tootsie Roll. That's the one thing that I remember about the Bozo's Big Top show is whenever the kids like competed for prizes, they could win like board games and this, that, and the other. If they messed up and they didn't win the game properly, their consolation prize was a giant Tootsie Roll. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And, 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 and Bozo had one in his closet, and Scott was just running That's around funny. all excited. Hey, Scott, he's like Funny. No, I, 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 don't remember, I don't remember anything about that show other than that it was on. I was on, a, as if I guess I was three, I was on a competing TV program for an episode, so my parents have what, told me. What, what? Uncle Piggly's Pork Chop Review. What? The blood. I, Your parents are lying <laughs> to you. Your parents are. So I don't know. My what happened? I guess was, was like traveling show broke down or something, and my dad helped him with his car or fed them at the one of the restaurants he had at the time. And because of that, they they were going to do a, a program at Channel Six. They were doing that the next day, so they told my dad, "Oh, bring you know, bring your boy down. He can he could be in the audience of Uncle." Wiggly's pork chop review, and my dad's like, "Sounds great to me." Apparently, I, I did that as a thing when I was that three. Is, that is going to be a Google search for me later. It's going to be. It was like trained pigs that, that danced around. I don't know. I was three. Uh, this guy I used to work with, we used to call him Big Al. He was like six foot four. Just he looked like a wrestler, but he was like this, like just goofball and wicked funny. And I don't remember if it was Bozo or maybe it was Romper Room. He was telling us this story that on on the TV, all the kids, I can't tell the story without laughing. On the TV, all the kids are like parading around the room with like, you know, fake instruments like guitars or yeah. trumpets or whatever. Now, yep. Al... Big Al, and I pictured him doing this as a grown man, is dancing around his room or dancing around the living room, and he doesn't have a fake instrument. All he had was like an American flag, like, you know, a kid-sized American flag. So he's playing he's playing that like it's a trumpet or a trombone or whatever. And as he's doing that, he's got like his head down. And then he, he comes up just in time to walk into a wall. And the nice. and the, the stick of the flag just went oh, right in his throat and hit him in the back of the neck, basically. That's so funny. Children getting hurt will never not be funny. All right, let's, uh, let's get on to the next. Uh... January 6th. 1907, going all, all the way back to the turn of the century, a woman named Maria Montessori opens the first Montessori school, and she opened it in Rome, Ooh, Rome, Italy. That sounds exciting. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, Montessori schools are interesting. Like, Bill and I both went to a vocational high school, right? Yeah. And so we learned, we went there and learned to trade. Bill, still pra- you still practice that trade. You're still in this, the throes of what we did in high school, only at a much more uh, expertise level, right? So you... You still are working with the tools and the technology that we learn in high school. You flatter me. <laughs> I flatter you. So I, but, but by that, I mean you're a shiftless layabout who thinks about podcasting all the yes. time. Uh, no, much like vocational high school, in the early parts of the 20th century, there are all these different competing theories about how you could raise young kids. Mm-hmm. The first kindergartens started to come out where you, you, know, one, you had like one teacher who managed a whole bunch of little kids at one time. Mm-hmm. Maria Montessori's idea was that little kids could be taught to do chores as a form of play. So all the activities that Montessori schools do are built around things that, they can, that kids can do to help around the house or go, kind of go out and earn money a little bit later. So oh my I went God. to a Montessori school. Look at that whole child labor thing just going right in there, huh? Yeah, well, it's, it's not really labor if it's like, next activity is going to be polishing shoes, which was one of my favorites. And I would love to shine shoes. That sounds like work. But it's not work if you love what you do, Bill. We, we've learned that as, as our lives have gone on. 
Uh, so I used to have a lot of fun polished polishing shoes or you'd get assigned to like clean play in like a wash tub with a uh, washboard and you clean handkerchiefs. Oh my God, um, dude, my tub is filthy. Come over. You'll have a, a grand old time. You'll love it. Only if I can shine your shoes. Yeah. But anyway, so Montessori schools are still open today. That style of teaching, although it's adapted some, now they have kids who are putting together circuit boards as an activity or learning to do computer programming or taking inbound phone calls for a customer service for like Amazon. Or going down to the coal mine to see if for air quality. Fixing cars, yeah. doing all the dangerous jobs, getting into little pipes on the way into the nuclear power plants with a scrub brush. Like that's what they're doing now. The canaries don't grow on trees, you know. And in researching this, Bill, I was thinking back to what, you know, what we had as kids after sort of those pre-primary and primary years when we were pretty much just dropped in front of the TV. And that was like the teacher that wasn't in school. Oh, yeah. Right? I remember helping my father drop a block engine into the... <laughs> no, but like Saturday mornings, it wasn't like mom would, would say like, oh, let's go, go shine shoes now. <laughs> it was like, here, go watch TV and leave me alone. Right. You yep. know, so we would get our additional schooling from like now in 1973, Schoolhouse Rock premiered on 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 ABC television. Yes. And we both of us remember Schoolhouse Rock in probably excruciating detail. Yes, we um, just did a trip because it was educational TV. And I'm saying educational as I'm making air quotes when I say yes. this, that the FCC required stations to put on and they couldn't do toy advertising during those times. So to fill in the bumpers between TV shows, they could put in educational content and then they could put commercials on in the afternoon when kids TV was on. Mm. So we got Schoolhouse Rock instead of ads for He-Man toys or whatever, G.I. Joe. First one of Schoolhouse Rock was a, uh, a multiplication one and it was three is a magic number. Yes. And to this day... Whenever I'm counting something, and I have to count to do a lot of counting at my job, whenever I'm counting something, I will count by threes, and I will sing that song to this day. I still do it. Three, six, nine, yep. 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 27, 30, and I have to sing the song to this day to count uh, count by threes. So much much like you, like I can still remember, I can still remember, I think, all the lyrics to that song and almost all the lyrics to almost all of their songs. There's one that's always baffled me, which, uh, as you as a math nerd will know, is the one that was called Little Twelve Toes. Yep. Base, base 12, yeah. You meet an alien who has six fingers on each hand, so to do base 12 math, you have to have two other single-digit numbers, L and Do, and then you do the math for 12 digits. And even today, I look at it, and it just makes my brain sort of fuzz over, and, and everything that I'm hearing starts to sound like static. Okay. Shh. Interestingly enough, I had made a joke that 100 is gross in base 12. Total math joke, okay? And I get yeah, the some, joke. Some, yeah, yeah somebody out there got it. So, 100 in base 12 with a single digit is L for 10 and a single digit is DO for 11 becomes 100, not 144. It's gross. <laughs> anyway, base 12 and me, we're not friends. And the and the one foot scale is still base. It's base. What, the one foot scale is base 12. All right, so next up. Base 12 yep. math. It's January 7th. Yep. January 7th, 1967. The game show, The Newlywed Game, premieres. That show was created by Chuck Barris, right? From Absolutely, yep. And uh, and it was yeah. hosted by Bob Eubanks. Now, here's me name right. dropping. I, I'm a haunted house actor, and I go out to a lot of these uh, conventions. And I was out in Columbus, Ohio, and I met a uh, lovely young lady, and her name was Lee Eubanks. And I said to her, I was like, Eubanks? Oh, like Bob Eubanks, the uh, the game show host? She's like, yeah, actually, that's my father's cousin. I'm like, shut up! And she's like, yeah, he's been over the house for Christmas and everything. I'm like, okay, all right, hold on, wait. Wow. Does him and your aunt 
make Whoopi? She's like, listen. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, like at the dinner table, what, does he ever say things like, can you pass the potatoes? Hurry, please. She's like, listen, knock it off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that show is kind of cutting edge for its time. Cause it was, it was so ribald and set the stage for stuff like all the double entendre type of yeah. game shows that would come later, like match game and the Hollywood squares yeah, and stuff. Was, it, was a, it could get pretty racy. I mean, obviously the, you know, I mean, well, this is the you know late '60s, so you're you're still in that like like nobody really talks about sex, but there's in the middle of a sexual revolution too. You know, at the same time, mm-hmm. so yep. like everything yeah, that yeah. gets brought up, it's like ooh, the audience. the uh, The basis of the show was you would have couples that were married for I think it was less than two years. Uh, one person would leave the stage, and they would ask the remaining person a bunch of questions, and they would have to answer how they thought the other person would answer. And the mo- right, and the questions were like not they weren't like complicated questions like base no. twelve math. It was more like what's something that your husband would say, you know, after a f- nice dinner well, at a restaurant. Well, yeah, what it, to you on your way home, yeah, right? What, or something what like is that. The, you know. What is your husband going to want for breakfast tomorrow or something like that? And the most famous blooper of all time was, where is the strangest place you've ever made whoopee? And that was their like big joke because you couldn't say have sex on TV. So they would say make whoopee. And uh, the question was, where is the strangest place uh, you have ever made whoopee? And the girl said, in the butt? Right on TV. Awesome. Wow. (laughs) Yes, I think that got bleeped, yeah. but yeah, or, or it didn't didn't make it. But you can you can find yeah. it on YouTube. Yep. That's out uh, there. Link, link in description. <laughs> and um, and that show's actually carried on too. I don't remember the name of it, but they uh, they had a very similar like premise, but instead of being newlyweds, it was like um, siblings, like a, a, a younger brother and an older brother, or a younger brother older sister kind of a thing. That's going to make for some strange questions, Bill. I'm just yeah. going to put that out there. Because if you ask, you know, yeah. what's the strangest place that you've both made whoopee? Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, it's my sister. Yeah. Well, all right. That's weird anyway. Yeah. So. Huh. Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. They certainly didn't answer you know, questions like that. Oh, okay. All right. Move on to the 8th. What do you got? January 8th. <laughs> I feel like I'm trapped it in the very early uh, 20th century here. But 1902. New York State Assemblyman Francis G. Landon gets a bill passed to criminalize men turning around on a street and looking, I'm going to put my air quotes up here, looking at a woman in that way. (laughs) I don't know what way that is, but looking at a woman that way is illegal, or it was illegal in New York State. (laughs) State of New York. That's Turning around on the street and looking at a woman in that way. In, in, in that way. That's the way the bill was written? Yep. Oh, that's amazing. That's the, that's the language. And when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, you want to like, you know, you want to discourage people from catcalling and, right, this is this, the, just the starting to be the beginning of, of the very early embryonic stages of women's push for equality in the United States, right? Right. So I can, I can totally see that. But then I remember like, these women dressed in Victorian clothes, like who turns around and goes like, "Hey, two women in like seventeen feet of petticoats and a jacket and a coat and a gigantic hat, like they just look like a curtain." Yeah. Past you. Like what? What way are you actually looking at them? Are you looking at them like where the hell's the rest of the house? Because the curtains are walking down the street. Look at the ankles on that broad, huh? My goodness, you can't even see them. Everything's hidden. Beautiful. But I don't, you know. 
crazy. I don't know what in that way means. <laughs> kind of a parallel line or like a off, you know, I mean, since when do we stick on the topic? But I remember years ago listening to the Alex Jones show for comedic purposes. <laughs> and, you know, he's always pitching his own products over there. And he was pitching this like, you know, off-brand kind of like Viagra or whatever, this herbal Viagra and vitality pills or whatever. He's like, I got more energy. I uh, got more vitality and more of a twinkle in my eye. That's how he said it. It makes it very good when I'm home looking at stack porn. Sleestack. <laughs> 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 you ever watch stack porn? It's like watching C-SPAN, only the stacks don't have clothes on. <laughs> Uh, the commercials that guy used to run, one, more of a twinkle in my eye. It's like, I I, kind of know what you're getting at, but seriously, Alex, nobody on planet Earth talks like that. Well, nobody under the age of like 80 talks like that. Well, you know, imagine him in 1902, like looking around like, look at that woman. She looks like a curtain. (laughs) Sleeve stacks. Jeez. That curtain's more than enough to turn a gay frog straight. I'll tell you that right now. I think I saw that curtain in Bohemian Grove. They use it as the background for one of their satanic rituals. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, apologies to Alex Jones out there. Please don't come and curse me with your weirdness, but uh, I can't do your voice very well. There was another commercial he uh, used to run for a pair of jeans, and I, it was like specifically for motorcycle riders, and it had a diamond. <laughs> I, I'm not this funny. I wish I was. It had, it had a diamond-encrusted crotch. I, I did not stutter on that at all. That's exactly what it had. It had, a like, in the crotch of the jeans, it had, like, diamonds. That way, if you, like, an accident on your bike and you go road rashing, you know, road pizzering down the thing, your private parts will be protected and not get all splattered everywhere because you have a diamond Crotch. Diamond, diamond encrusted cod, cod piece, huh? Yeah, I can see how that would. And it, work. and it even had a jingle. It was awesome. The way they fit. They put a diamond gusset in the crotch where you need it most. Blue diamond gussets got it. Others don't. Oh my God! <laughs> Go, Alex. Uh, and and. and and the flavor for his uh, vitality drink was beyond tangy tangerine. <laughs> beyond, beyond tangy tangerine. Yeah. Beyond tangy tangerine. Straighten them. It's a conspiracy that you don't buy it. Straighten them frogs right out. We got this directly from the non-globalist tangerine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, let's get on to the next day. It is January the ninth, fourteen ninety-three. Columbus, Christopher Columbus. Friend of the friend of friend friend of Native Americans. Yes, yeah, friend of the podcast. Yeah, Christopher Columbus discovers, I guess, or first sights manatees. It's true. He does. He's the first first person to really catalog them for the West. Yeah. Christopher Columbus, and oh. probably rightfully so, gets a lot of heat every year, uh, right around Columbus Day on the internet, and then everybody forgets about it afterwards because. The, we were brought up thinking that Christopher Columbus discovered America, which he certainly did not. He was sent over here from Spain to promote Catholicism. 
but yeah, along the way, he discovered a manatee, which a lot of times people thought manatees were mermaids. You ever right. see a manatee? I have. I have seen. Do they a look man's... like mermaids? No. No, they are not sexy creatures at all. That, I don't think that stopped Christopher Columbus, though. No, probably not. Although, who knows? Not a lot of shade out there on the open ocean, so you get, get sunburned and crazy. You, yeah. And and you know, it's the it comes a little bit later in the year, but it's probably like January tenth or eleventh, where he's recorded as saying, "Oh, the huge manatee." Oh uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, that's that's good. Um. What what you don't know is that much much later on in the year, like around December or so, like the end of the year, they pass a law that you're not allowed to look at manatees in that way. Oh, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> it's turning the manatees gay is what it's doing. <laughs> gay manatees all over the west, the western coast of Florida. Oh, the gay manatees! <laughs> <laughs> I saw a manatee uh, like a uh, like in the wild. I was um, I was in Naples, Florida. We were on the dock, uh, looking down, and uh, the girl I was hanging out with, she was like, "Oh my God, look, there's a manatee!" I'm like, "Whoa!" So yeah, they're not sexy. I don't know. I don't know why people thought those were uh, were those those. Well, were I mean, I think it's probably it's probably because like you know, if you've been out on a boat for seven months, and every time you look over, she's like, "There's Bob," and you look over your other shoulders, "There's Steve." Yeah, it's like. And you look down, and you go, oh, the huge manatee, you know? And <laughs> there it is. It's like, yep. let's get some seaweed on its head, and it's roundish. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm looking at the manatee in that way. You put a seashell bra on that thing, and... <laughs> right? Yeah! Look at that. It's like Ariel. <laughs> let's wrap up the week with January the 10th. January the 10th, 1927. The Not the first science fiction film, but one of the best known of the earliest science fiction films. It was feature length. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis uh, makes its premiere. Ah. I don't know if it premiered in the United States or in Germany at this time. I'm going to guess it was in Germany. And has gone on to influence the visual design of films literally since then. So I don't know if you've ever, if, if anybody has ever seen it. I, I literally own three copies of that movie and I've never seen it. So, so I'd always seen clips of it. And I saw a, a, a silent version that was broadcast on PBS when I was much younger, when I was a kid. And then Giorgio Moroder re-released it with some found elements that had been restored to the film, because it's always been in a, in a state of disarray. Right. And retinted the films and released it with a modern score in like 1984, 85. Mm-hmm. Saw that in a cinema. And then only maybe five or six years ago, a complete print of the original first release of the film, unedited, was found in either Brazil or Colombia. It's like three or four hours long, isn't it? Yeah, it has since been released and restored out, and that's the version that sort of shows up on the Criterion Collection and other stuff now. Yeah. And it's it's really, really interesting to watch, to, to watch the film because the storytelling is so good. The metaphor of how society can be stratified is really good. The visuals are amazing. And it's it's not a fun film, no, it's but a, it's a it's an it's, it's a really a, interesting film to they, watch. They turn a woman into a robot or something. I don't know much about no, it. No, they turn a robot into a woman. So, the briefest of time to, to describe the film, mm-hmm. there are two types of society. There's a society above the ground, right? That's where all the rich people are, yep. and then there's a society underground. That's where all the poor people are, and the poor people all work on machines to keep the rich people happy. So this is not unlike so, uh, the time machine in a way. Sort of. Yeah. 
condensed. But what happens is there's a there's a professor named Rotwang, 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 <laughs> um, who's found a way to turn a, a robot into a human woman. Meanwhile, there's this really inspirational woman who lives underground, who is talking about the future that the workers will have when things are better and not to lose faith, not to lose faith in themselves and to organize. So they send this robot woman down Maria and she takes this woman's place and is this like encourages people to do terrible things and they sort of smash up the machines and they kind of screw themselves over. In the meantime, the son of the the chief industrialist of the city um, falls in love with the actual Maria and goes down to try and rescue her from where she's being held. It's 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 a really interesting film. Again, it's more it's more potent for its visuals than it is for anything else. Yep. The visuals of people working themselves to f- complete exhaustion in in, in a, a day that is based on a ten hour clock. Uh, because they're always underground, they never have to see the sun. That clock's in base so, ten. Um, so it's really it's really fun. It's 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 worth it's worth checking out for sure. Yep. Uh, so. Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Uh, interesting also about Fritz Lang. Not only did he do basically what is the first science fiction movie, he also did a movie called M a couple of, like yep. five years later, four years later. And M is basically the prototype for what is what we now know as a slasher film. Uh, police procedural too. Yeah. So yeah, M is a fantastic film. It's one of my one of my favorites. And and that's Peter Lorre's first movie. Mm-hmm. And and focuses on uh, on Peter Lorre's this possessed sort of uh, terrible child murderer in Dusseldorf and how the police are looking for him to try and catch him and the gangsters are looking for him and trying to catch him because he writes letters to the press saying that, you know, he's going to kill again and no one knows who he is. He hasn't left any clues. Because the cops can't find him, they crack down on the underworld and because the underworld is being cracked down on, they want to catch this guy too so they can give him to the cops. It makes you sympathetic ultimately at the end for Peter Lorre. It's really, really weird. It's a really weird... Uh, film because it has so many facets and it's if you watch that film you'll see it won't look like anything special because everything that's been done in that film has been done thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times since right in film and television but this is the first place that it was done yep it's a great movie great right. great film so let's get on to the celebrity birthdays january 4th 1958 also the birthday is january 4th 20 minutes into the future. January 4th, 1958 is an actor named Matt Frewer, who everybody would better know as Max Hedgeroom. Max Hedgeroom was an interesting character. Yep. And uh, uh, I feel like sometimes like him, I'm on so many Zoom calls for work <laughs> that like my whole day is like, hey, 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 can you hear me? Hey, 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 you're on mute, you know, <laughs> and stuttering digital and everything else. Right. So. Yeah, Max Hedrum and Matt Frua had a very um, prolific couple of years there in the 80s. I mean, every, Max Hedrum was everywhere. He had his own talk show on Showtime. Uh, he was a spokesperson for a couple of years for uh, the Coca-Cola products. Yeah, he was just everywhere. And it was a character in a... Uh, a short science fiction film called 20 Minutes into the Future. There was also the show, the Max Headroom show, yeah, that, which was like Yep. It wasn't it wasn't an interview show though, it was a science fiction show. Yeah, it was based on the uh on the short film 20 Minutes into the Future. Uh, right. do you remember where he got his name, Max Headroom? Yeah, cuz he he was he was a reporter. Yep. 
uh, with integrated cameras and stuff in his, I guess, on his clothes, if I remember right. And he, like, was leaving a parking garage on a motorcycle, yep. and the gate closed, and it said maximum headroom on it. Max headroom was, like, six feet, right. and he smashed into it. Yep, and then they uploaded his conscious into a computer, but the computer wasn't strong enough to handle it, which is why he glitches all the time. All right, mm-hmm. uh, next up, January the 5th. Who do you got? January the 5th. I have uh, 1969. January the 5th, 1969. Your friend and mine, Marilyn Manson. Ah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brian Warner. Brian Warner. I remember the first time I saw a Marilyn Manson video. I saw the video for the beautiful people yep. like one morning on MTV and was like, I don't know what this is. But I have to go get it <laughs> right now. Ended up buying the pre- the preceding record and that record in the same day, and thought they were fantastic. Right, that was this weird period where, you know, I, for all the, the shit I talk about herdedur music, mm-hmm. and this is herdedur music to the extreme. There was some weird little subsets of herdedur music that were interesting, like Marilyn Manson stuff was sort of shock rock. And a little bit of theatrical stuff and a little bit of political stuff and a little bit of other stuff sort of thrown in there yep. that I really thought was was interesting. It didn't that sort of that sky on of Herdeder music didn't last all that long. But he's still touring and playing and and sort of started making some films too and for the amount of the theatrics and 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 what he was, you know, he was a living art project. I should have been way on board with Marilyn Manson, but I wasn't because he just got like too much attention too fast. And it was like, it just seemed like it was everybody else's band. So I was like, okay, you can have that. I'll, I'll find, you know, something else. I, uh, I remember working at the haunted house and some kid comes up to me and says, do you like Marilyn Manson? I was like, Marilyn Manson's okay. Um, I kind of like Alice Cooper better. Alice Cooper did it first. And they said, who's she? I go, Alice Cooper is a boy. Why does, why does he have a girl's name? I was like, Marilyn Manson has a girl's name. <laughs> Tell's your name, kid. <laughs> what? I'm part bullfrog. I told you. I told you about these frogs. <laughs> For the love of God, it's Marilyn Manson. <laughs> And he's with a sleestock. <laughs> Bohemian Grove. All right. Uh, next up, January the 6th, 1946. Founding member and principal songwriter for the first couple of albums, anyway, of Pink Floyd, or The Pink Floyd at the time. A man by the name of Sid Barrett. Yes. Uh, Pink Floyd is one of those bands. I mean, obviously, they have a huge uh, following even to this day. But I know people that absolutely will not and refuse to listen to Pink Floyd just because they, quote unquote, consider it stoner music. I guess it depends on the era of Pink Floyd yeah. that you're talking about. Th- but. There's three, very, three or four very distinct eras of Pink Floyd. Whenever somebody okay. says to me that they like Pink Floyd, I often ask them, I go, do you like Pink Floyd or do you like the five songs that they play on the radio? Because there's a real big difference. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to see Nick Mason, uh, who was the drummer for Pink Floyd. I went to see yep. him play live in Boston. And all the songs they played were from the Sid Barrett era. Yeah. And it was fantastic. It was such a great show. Because I've seen Roger Waters play a couple of times. And Roger Waters, obviously, is going to play 
songs from the Roger Waters era of Pink Floyd. Right. But Nick Mason played all of the Sid Barrett stuff, like Point Me to the Sky and Pick Up yeah, Thy Yeah, See Emily Play. Yep, and Pick Up Thy yeah, I've got a bike. You can ride it if you yep, like. And pick Up Thy Stethoscope and Walk. Um, yeah. Astronomy Domini. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Which I said correctly. I said it right. And um, <laughs> yeah, Sid was, uh, Sid was an interesting dude. Famously had to leave Pink Floyd because of his uh, bipolar disorder coupled with a crazy amount of drugs that he took just made him you know impossible to maintain uh, live the life of regret because Pink Floyd went on to unbelievable superstardom after he had left and uh, right. he did a couple of solo albums which are interesting to listen to and uh, if anybody's not in the know, the song "Wish You Were Here," very famous Pink Floyd song, is about Sid, and that was that. So it shine on you, crazy diamond. Yeah, actually, that whole album is basically whole album is, yeah, yeah, basically about him. Yep. Um, yep. Cool, cool stuff. Uh, the first, the very first Pink Floyd album, "Pipers at the Gates of Dawn," worth looking up if you get Spotify and you can just listen to whatever. Uh, yeah, look up some of the stuff on there. If you don't know Pink Floyd, look up some of the stuff. You'd be like, this is Pink Floyd? Yeah, that's kind of how they started. They were, you know, similar to early, like we said a couple of weeks ago, early Pink Floyd is very similar to early The Who or, or Beatles at that point in time. Moving on. January 7th. Not quite as uh, interesting as Sid Barrett, I think, but 1964, Nicolas Cage. Uh, America's answer to Michael Caine, an actor who will literally take any role in any film at any time <laughs> for any amount of money, irrespective of quality, quantity, uh, distribution method, or uh, <laughs> equipment to film it, has been is a, a nephew of Francis Ford Coppola and got his start in a fantastic film called Valley Girl, which you should watch. Uh, actually, his first role was in Fast Times at Richmond High. Yes, but his first starring yeah. role was his, Valley his, Girl. He was also in... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's direct, uh, directed video of Rumblefish based on the, the yep. um, S.E. Hinton book. Yeah, uh, Nicolas Cage, for his credit, used the name Nicolas Cage and not Nicolas Coppola because he didn't want to get hired just because his uh, his uncle was famous. Now now people don't want to hire him just because he's Nicolas Cage. Because he's crazy. Ironically. <laughs> you know, he was like obsessed with Elvis Presley to the point where he married his or Elvis's daughter. But right. it's because he was obsessed with Elvis. Speaking of Elvis, <clears throat> January the 8th. Uh, <laughs> now, what do Elvis Presley, Stephen Hawkins, and David Bowie all have in common? Stephen Hawking and David Bowie and Elvis yeah. Presley. What do they all have in common? And More than you think. Uh, they, all, they all share the same birthday. Uh, Elvis in 1935, Stephen Hawkins in 1942, and it's it's wait it's Stephen Hawking. Oh, it's, it's, There's no it's S. One, it's not Hawkins. Hawkins. Oh, it's Hawking, right? Um, Hawking, yeah. Stephen Hawking in 1942, and David Bowie in 1947, and also uh, 20 years later, yeah. 1967, South Africa's favorite modeling vanilla bluesy white person musician, David. Oh Matthews. yeah, yeah, uh, Dave. Dave Matthews, you know, Dave Matthews is an amazing guitar player and everybody in his band are all like virtuosos. And it, it does not make any sense to me that with a band full of musicians like that, they play the most boring music. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the blame on him being from South Africa. Oh, come on. Uh, D. Antwood's from South Africa yeah, and they're the, awesome. The difference from D. Antwood is D. Antwood doesn't know how to play any instruments <laughs> and Dave Matthews can play a ton of instruments. 
So that that must be where oh, that, that must be where it is. So he's focused a lot on being competent with a guitar or whatever, piano and and stuff, and they're not. Somebody needs to go out there and break Dave Matthews' fingers, and then we'll have something worth listening to. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, January 9th, 1950, former singer of the New York Dolls and former character singer Buster Poindexter and former actor David Johansson. What a life! He definitely huh? that been, guy's been. Yeah, he's got more. He's got more personas than Alex Jones. Um, yeah, he's out <laughs> he, uh, there. He's, yeah, he's he started all kinds of stuff. Yeah, he started out there with yeah with uh, with the New York Dolls, basically inventing glam rock as we yeah. know it. And that that New York doll. I mean, there's two New York Dolls albums now, but that first one that came out in 70, 72, 73, right. something like that. Definitely an album worth owning. Yep. And then he broke out on his own. He was David Johansson. Early MTV used to show a lot of his videos. Yes. And there was one where he did, do you remember this? He did a medley of three, two or three animal songs. I have. He did We Gotta Get Out. I have no idea. Well, what that? No? Yeah, he did a medley. It was um, We Gotta Get Out of This Place. Oh, I thought, yeah, okay. I thought you meant so- like songs about animals. And I was like, I don't know any songs no. about animals. Like what the, the band, band the about? animals, the band, the animals. Yes, we got. Yeah, we got to get out of this place and uh, House of the Rising Sun. And no, he didn't do House right. of the Rising Sun. He did House of the Rising Sun later with uh, yeah. the Busta Poindexter. Okay. But anyway, it was three animal songs, and that was from an album called Live It Up, and that album and video was actually recorded at the Paradise in Boston. Oh wow! Oh yep. cool. Yep. Cool. I also remember him as you know when he did the hot 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 thing as Buster Poindexter. And yep. It wasn't immediately clear to the world that that was David Johansson. Right. <laughs> and then when it was revealed, people were like, get out. Yeah. Those, for those, those of us who knew him, were like, yeah, well, yeah, you can't tell from his voice. That sounds yeah. just like David Johansson. Those Busta bus Poindexter albums, you know, hot, 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 notwithstanding. But those Busta Poindexter albums are actually very fun. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, then he, he did some acting. He was in Scrooged. Yes. And, he was in uh, Let It Ride. With uh, Richard Dreyfus, right? Yep. Richard Dreyfus and uh, yep. And who, what else was he in? He was oh. in uh, the remake of Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Yeah. For those of you who remember that that used to be a TV show. All right, and uh, let's wrap up on January the tenth, nineteen oh four. Ray Bolger, who you would hey. know, yeah, exactly. You would know as the Scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. I had to look it up because I couldn't remember which Wizard of Oz guy he was. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, born yes, right, he's right in over fact here. Scarecrow. Yep. Born right over here. He's from Dorchester, Massachusetts. As oh, if, nice. you, as if you can't tell when you hear him talk in the movie. I remember seeing him on a kid show. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember seeing him on a kid show. He was talking about the makeup and the prosthetics that he had to wear to be the Scarecrow. Actually, dug into his face so much so that he got permanent laugh lines from it. That he, he like permanently looked like the scarecrow from that point forward, but it was yeah, it was because of the mask and the prosthetics. Jeez. Yep. So yeah, you look at him like um, you know, as he was older, you could see those lines just etched into his face from the mask. Yep. Oh, gee. Did they try to kill everybody that was in or maim everybody that was in the friggin' Wizard of Oz? Yeah, seriously. There's that. that. There's the woman who played the the witch who got burned and yep. who had a horrible skin reaction to the. The green color they put on her skin. Right. Friggin' door. They ended up addicted to drugs. I'm telling you, it's like a slow motion snuff it's like, film. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's a train wreck, but it's, a, it's it's taking place at a glacial pace. You know, if The Wizard of Oz, instead of being a movie, was a song, it undoubtedly would be. Da, 
The worst song ever. What is our contender this week, Young Jeff? Our contender this week is the... <sighs> Are you ready for this? <laughs> all right, so... <laughs> So all right, so this week's worst song ever is uh, a story song, Bill. A story song that that was recorded in 1975 went to number one on the country charts in 1976 on uh, oh. January 7th, and then these, you know the the 70s is just peppered everywhere with these story songs, I, and they're all trash. Well, they're all trash. And and this one's a novelty song as well. It's it's called Convoy. Oh, and I remember this one. Yeah, yeah, by it's actually recorded by like I think the guy was a DJ, T.W. McCall, who, who recorded the song. It went all over the place. Well, it it sort of tied in with this surprisingly short-lived fad where everybody wanted Citizens Band radios in their house so they could talk like truckers, or listen to right. truckers talk to one another. Or they put them in their cars. And they and put stuff. them in their yeah, cars, yeah. whatever. Before cell phones, right? So you want to stay connected right. to people. And there, and on the citizens' band, there are rules and regulations that you have to follow, and the range measurements and stuff. And it's kind of a neat hobby that it's still around a little bit, um, but nowhere near as much as it used to be. And this song capitalized on it by taking a whole bunch of like trucker slang and building this sh- incredibly stupid song around it. And it's not that <laughs> the song, the story is stupid. It's not. It's like a bunch of truckers band together and do something. I can't remember what, but it's produced in a way that is so terrible that it's almost unlistenable now let's play a clip okay oh yeah them smokies as thick as bugs on a bumper they even had a bear in the air i says calling all trucks this here's the duck we about to go a hunting bear because we got great big Yeah, that's the that know that kind of like leans into it reminds me of uh, later on Frank Zappa did a song called Valley Girl where yes. his daughter was talking with all this, you know, the slang from yep. uh, San Fernando Valley uh, yes. in California. Yeah, we just mentioned Cal- uh, Valley Girl with uh, Nicolas Cage. So, yeah, yeah the, so the song right. Convoy, like. All of it, it's it's like reading a clockwork orange. It's all in this like unintentional, unless you know the lingo, you don't understand what the hell he's talking about. Well, sort of like the story part of it is like C.W. McCall's voice, as you heard in that clip, is like, it was dark as night as we rode the trail in the thing <laughs> with the jumping blab and the guy named Chuck and he had four chickens and the thing with it, whatever. You know what? I, so he tells the story part and then it's and Dracula's and Dracula's <laughs> real yeah. name was Vlad. And, yeah. And then, they, and then they've got and then they've got like the, the guys who are like. Hi, this is Reverend Dick. I found six pennies in my shoe, and it's like uh, a banana. Because none of that means <laughs> anything. And then there's a chorus where studio musicians who sound like they're being held at gunpoint sing, We got a great big convoy going across the land. And it's terrible. It's bad <laughs> all the way through, everywhere. And it's so bad, it fucking created a movie. Yeah. <laughs> they made a movie out of this stupid song. They, they, they made a bad movie out of it. They actually now, they made they made a worse movie out of it first with Chuck Norris <laughs> called Breaker Breaker, which came up before this and steals the story. And then they made this awful film. And Sam Peckinpah, who I love as a director, made Convoy with Chris Christopherson and Ali McGraw, and it's awful. 
but it's now, based on this dumb song. Yeah. You know, you know, somebody covered this song uh, in 2004, a guy by the name of Paul Brandt, who thought to himself, you know what? This song needs a little redoing. I want you to take this apart real quick, okay? We've got Convoy, a song with a character named Rubber Duck, a novelty song written by a DJ in 1975. A year later, a novelty song about a duck, a disco duck, Rick <laughs> Dees, who was a DJ. What the hell is going on in this country in the 70s? Holy cow! I don't know. I listen to rebroadcasts of America, um, American Top 40 on Saturdays when I'm doing stuff around the house, and I'm convinced that 1974 through like 1976 are the, the, the two worst years of music, three full worst years of music in the history of American music. What Nixon did to this country shouldn't happen to a dog. It's, now it's, it's, they're like it's like it's like a transition team, uh, transition <laughs> years of of baseball. It's terrible. <laughs> so let's get to our trivia question. Let's. Let's go back to the good old days. Well, I'd hoped you forgot about that, but I guess nope. we haven't. Uh, the first, the question was, what was the first television show, or more importantly, sitcom, to have a series finale? The first sitcom to have a series finale, in the vein of Seinfeld and Happy Days and Joni Loves Karachi and yeah, yeah, where they ended it with like a clip show. Well, yeah, they ended it with a clip show. Yep. Was it the first Bob Newhart show? No, but that's an excellent guess. But it goes back a little further to the good old days. Whenever somebody romanticizes about this country in the 1950s, they think about the show Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> Leave It to Beaver did a clip show at the end? That was the very last one. Yep, because uh, you know Jerry Mathers, uh, the beaver, the, the titular character, he started the show. He was like five or six years old. Right. And when the show was wrapping up, Wally was going off to college and Beaver... The, the titular beaver. <laughs> I get to say beaver and titular in the same sentence. I feel happy about that. Yes. Pervert. I'm looking. I'm looking at my monitor in in that way. So at any rate, um, yeah. Well, he was getting to be. You know, he was going to high school while he was going off to college, and the show was about the kids. It wasn't right. about the, the the parents. It was about. It would, the been, kids. It would have been would have been boring if Leave It to Beaver like 2.0 was like Ward and June. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the kids leave the show. It's, okay. it's just a, it's just about the parents. I got, right. Are you making flapjacks again for breakfast, honey? For the next for the next fifteen minutes, <laughs> Jude Cleaver will vacuum while wearing pearls. Yeah. Hey, honey. Hey, honey. Come out of the kitchen. Oh, just just for a minute now. <laughs> yeah, I can see that 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 probably would have flown. <laughs> All right. Well, that's gonna wrap up the show for this week. All right. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year, gang. And uh, we will see you next week. Uh, say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibbly, or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode... There'll be one next week, and it'll probably be better. <laughs> <laughs>